Everybody, good morning, Saving Grace Church. Welcome back to another Sunday. Like last Sunday, we do have some people in the building, which is great, and we are working hard on getting towards our reopening, so there will be more uh, news on that coming up this week, so stay tuned for that. If you have a Bible, uh, turn to Acts chapter 17, and let me pray. Father, thank you for your mercy, your love for us, your power, and the good news of Jesus, that we have hope this morning because of your Son. Holy Spirit, would you awaken us and help us to be engaged in your word and be transformed by it and be excited to share the good news of Jesus with others. Uh, we ask for your help, and we ask this in your name. Amen. So we're going to go through the entirety of Acts chapter 17 this morning. There will be a lot of things that I want to talk about that we probably won't talk about. So if you have questions this week, please email those questions in. Uh, the title of the message is The God That Can Be Known. The God That Can Be Known. I want to start with a question. Have you ever considered how massive the difference is between knowing about someone and knowing someone? So the difference between having knowledge about someone, maybe some facts about them, and then knowing them personally. There's a massive difference. And to truly know someone, I think there's at least two really important key ingredients. The first is we have to have right information about them. We have to have true information about them. So I can't know someone if I don't really have accurate information about them. So that, that's an important and essential part of knowing someone. But equally important is you could have accurate information about someone, but until you have a personal relationship with them, you don't truly know them at all. Both are important. And when it comes to religion and philosophies, many people devote themselves to all kinds of different ideas. And many of those ideas are, they make the first mistake. They, they have the wrong information about how to know the living God. So they, they, they're, they're off-center right at the beginning. It would be like having the wrong GPS coordinates when you're going on a trip. You could follow the GPS, you could look at your phone, you could enter it in, and you could follow every turn that it tells you to make. But when you get there, you're at the wrong place. And the reason you're at the wrong place is because you had the wrong information. Well, religions and philosophies that are, are sharing good news that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ are like having the wrong coordinates entered into your phone. Why am I talking about all this? Because this morning we're going to see the Apostle Paul in just this one chapter. He's going to interact with a number of different cultures, a number of different philosophies, and religions. And he is going to over and over and over again connect these two main ingredients of how you really know someone. Accurate, right information and a personal relationship. And so Paul is going to give accurate and right information about Jesus, the promised Messiah, and he's going to call everyone, no matter who they are, no matter what their particular philosophy or religion is, to faith, to trusting in Jesus, and to turning from both their sins and their righteous deeds 
to trust in Jesus. So let's jump into Acts 17. And before we, we read verse 1, just want you to look at the map. So on your screen, you should have a map. And we have been going through with Paul and Silas and Timothy on Paul's second missionary journey. And today, we're going to see Paul left Philippi. He's going to pass two, through two cities. He's going to come to Thessalonica. And then we're going to end today where he's going to be in Athens. So on your map, look at the Macedonian section. And that's where the Apostle Paul is. And remember, he got there because God gave him a vision of a man begging them to come with the good news of Jesus. And so the start of all these churches is a result of Paul responding to the Holy Spirit's prompting. So, first point is this. The gospel turns the world upside down. The good news of Jesus will turn the world upside down. I get that phrase from the passage that we're going to be looking at, so you will see that in a moment. But the good news of Jesus, its intended effect is to actually turn the world upside down, to shake us up and rearrange our lives in all the right ways. The gospel turns the world upside down. So look at verse 1. Remember, they're leaving Philippi after being beaten and persecuted and falsely put in jail without a trial. So they're, they're bruised and they're battered. Verse 1, now they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollyon, and they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So they're going to Thessalonica, which is the capital of Macedonia at the time. It had about 200,000 people in the city. They, um, it was a, a well-known city, had a lot of different cultures represented there, and it had a large Jewish colony or population. So we know that because there was a synagogue in Thessalonica. In contrast, there was no synagogue in Philippi. There was a small Jewish population. This had a much larger Jewish population. This was a, a port city, and it was part of a road system. If you, if you don't remember from history class, the Romans were notorious for making incredible road systems. And the road system that Paul was using to get to Thessalonica was called the, the Ignatian Way. And from Philippi to Thessalonica was about 100 miles. And in those days, if they weren't in a boat traveling across water, they were on foot walking. And mostly, they averaged about 30 miles a day, and then they would stay over for the night, and then they would go. So this was about a three days journey to Thessalonica. We do not know why Paul skipped two smaller cities to get to Thessalonica. There's a lot of speculation, but we really don't know. It would just be educated guesses. But he gets to Thessalonica to preach the gospel once again, to watch God use the message of Jesus to turn the world upside down. And as was Paul's custom, look at verse 2. He, he looks for the, the Jewish people first. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So for three weeks in a row, he's using the Old Testament Scriptures to teach them about Jesus, to teach them that first ingredient, that accurate information about how you know the living God. Verse 3. Explaining and proving 
that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. So here's what's happening. Paul, in the synagogue, he was welcomed into the synagogue. Remember his Jewish roots, he was a Pharisee. Before he trusted in Christ, he was a very significant Jewish leader, a rising star among them. And he knew the Old Testament inside out. And so he was proving and proclaiming Jesus the Messiah. So when we, we see the word Christ, that, that is the word for Messiah, the promised deliverer that the Old Testament promised would come. And he, he, he proved to them that it was necessary for the Messiah, the promised deliverer, to actually suffer and bleed and die as promised and predicted in Isaiah 53. And as he preached, and as he taught, and as he persuaded, the Holy Spirit brought some to spiritual life. And their eyes were opened, their hearts were awakened, and they trusted in Jesus. It says in verse 4, Some were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of devout Greeks. So it wasn't just the Jewish people. It was some of the, the Greeks who have, had converted to Judaism, and not a few of the leading women. So there was a, a, a group that was forming, and that is the Thessalonian church. So in your Bibles, you have two books called First and Second Thessalonians that were written actually not very long after Paul's visit to this particular region and church. So this is the start of yet another church. Now, now remember, Paul has been beaten up. He's been, had to flee cities, and he just keeps on going. He keeps getting back up, and he keeps on going. He's not bitter. He's not angry. He's not fearful. He is emboldened to share the good news and watch the good news turn the world upside down. We know from 1 Thessalonians, the letter, that this good news of Jesus, the gospel, it came in power to the, to the Thessalonians. It, it came with power and effect. In 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul writes this. This is thought to be written about six months or a little bit later after Paul's first visit with them. He said, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Did you catch that? It came in power with full conviction. So as he taught and proclaimed Jesus, there was life transformation happening. Men and women were being saved and forgiven and freed from a life of idolatry, freed from a life of giving in to all kinds of different sins and passions. It was powerful. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 1.8, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So 
this powerful work of the gospel, this transforming effect that was happening in Thessalonica, the word spread throughout Macedonia very, very quickly. When, when it says it sounded forth, that, that word literally means reverberated. The, the, the news that Jesus is transforming even people in Thessalonica, it spread, it reverberated. It, it, it just continued to go and go. It would be like a throwing a large rock into a lake and watching the ripples go. The, the news traveled. This was real, and it was powerful. Many of you are right in the, the garden season. This is the, the week to, to plant a lot of plants, is, is the recommended week in, in western Pennsylvania, and we have beautiful weather right now. So you need a couple ingredients. You need warm weather, which we have. You need good soil, which is your responsibility. We need... Um, water, which you can do from your hose if it's not raining. But we need those ingredients for your, your plants to grow and for there to be a harvest in the fall. Well, when Paul preached the gospel, all the key ingredients were there at the same time. The right message was being proclaimed. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, was being proclaimed. The Holy Spirit was awakening and illuminating and people were there listening, and they were turning from their sins, from their idols, from their idolatry, and trusting in Christ. See, the gospel is intended to transform lives. 1 Thessalonians 1.8 says this, or 1.9 and 10 says this, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. See, they had the wrong GPS coordinates. They were, they were all worshiping false gods. And they laid all that down. They turned it down to trust in the one true living God. So, and then it goes on to say in verse 10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, who, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath, to come. See, Paul proclaimed Jesus, and he called for a response. And so, if you know Jesus Christ personally, when you share the good news, it is so fitting to call for a response. To call for a response of trusting in Jesus. Because remember, we, we start at the beginning. It's not enough to just know true things. That's the starting place. But you got to trust in the person and work of Jesus to be a Christian. You can't you can't just know true things about Jesus. We're not preparing for a Bible exam. We're preparing for a day where we will meet the living God face to face. And the only way you can be prepared for that exam is by a personal trust in Jesus. And with that personal trust comes turning away from whatever those things are that you were living for before. In this case, it was often very sinful things that came with worshiping false gods. But for some, it's, it's holding on to morality, to, to the, the, the arrogant self-righteousness that comes with trusting in your own goodness. Is it good to be moral? It is good to be moral. But we don't trust in morality for acceptance before a living God. We turn from both sins and good works to receive and trust Jesus Christ. And that's what they did. Now before we go any further with 
the passage, I, wa- I want you to think about this. Ask yourself this question, particularly for those of you who have been listening to preaching for a while or have grown up in church. Has the gospel transformed you? Has it had a transformative effect on your life? Have you experienced the power of the Holy Spirit that is talked about in Thessalonica? Would the same or could the same be said about you? Have you heard of how Jesus transformed so-and-so? Has the gospel transformed you? We're not talking about perfection here. But we are talking about a changed life. When you encounter the risen Christ who conquered sin and death and rose from the grave, if you encounter him in a saving way, that is meant to transform things. That's meant to change you from the inside out. And so if maybe you're in the the first category, you have right information about Jesus. You could pass a written exam of who he is and what he did, and why he came to earth. But what you don't have is a trust in Jesus. And what you haven't done is given up the other things that you have been living for, your functional gods, and you haven't trusted and repented and run hard after Jesus. Don't let another day go by. Ask the Lord, Lord, help me. Give me sight. Give me spiritual life. Give me spiritual power. And he will answer that particular prayer. Well, like we have seen in other places as Paul has preached the gospel, there's a lot of good things happening, and then it gets intense pretty quickly. Well, this church in Thessalonica was no exception whatsoever. Look at verse 5. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob... And they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. So we have Jewish leaders that once again were were blind to the reality of Jesus, and really blind to the love of others. And so they couldn't celebrate that these men and women who had been enslaved to all kinds of idolatrous sins and, and false worship were being set free. They were jealous. We, we get their motives. Sometimes we don't know motives. Luke tells us their motives. They were jealous because Paul's crowd was getting big. And maybe, by implication, their crowd was getting smaller. But jealousy motivated them. And so they went and looked for the, the, the bad people, the, the, the troublemakers in the city. Hey, we're going to start, start a riot. Let's, let's start something. And so they start a riot just because they are jealous of Paul preaching the gospel. Something I encourage you to do this week is read both First and Second Thessalonians because Paul shares his heart in a way that Luke doesn't capture in Acts 17, that it got really, really intense for them to the point, as we're going to see in a moment, they, they leave rather abruptly from Thessalonica. Here's just a sampling, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. I love that line. We had boldness in our God to declare the gospel for you in the midst of much conflict. You, you learn this from reading the letters, First and Second Thessalonians, that their entry point, the, the new Christians, the new converts in Thessalonica, their entry point into Christianity was persecution. They had no um, rest period before they got started. They hit the ground running, and Paul's concerns in the letters that he writes to them is to make sure that they are doing well and to remind them that persecution was going to be part of their following of Jesus. And so in the middle of conflict, Paul continues to be bold. He doesn't retreat. He doesn't shrink back. He doesn't back down. So as culture, our present day culture, gets more hostile to Christians, that shouldn't slow us down. That shouldn't make us recoil at all. No, conflict's going to be part of it. But in love, we boldly, Proclaim the gospel. Do not shrink back because there is friction or tension or conflict. Do not lose heart if you are getting opposition. Don't lose heart if there is internal pressures and doubts or external pressures. Share Jesus boldly within your own gifts and abilities, within your own personality, within your own means. The gospel will Turn the world upside down. Second point. The gospel must be received and carefully considered. Because in, in verse 15, not verse 15, in verse 9, we get, um, when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And then verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to a Jewish synagogue. So it got so intense that they decided, Paul, you need to get out of here. What's interesting is that Paul and Silas and the others seem to have this um, intuitive sense that I think came from the Holy Spirit to know when, when should we stay and take a beating for Jesus and when should we hit the road? Um, it reminds me of the, 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 um, the Gambler by, by Kenny Rogers. Um, you know, you, you got to know when to stay and when to run. You got you to know that. They, they somehow knew that. And they knew that intuitively. And so we should not judge people if they flee at times from persecution or if they stay. That, that is, it seems like, part of their own personal relationship with the Lord. And they leave, but eventually Timothy ends up back, back there pretty quickly. And so they were following the Holy Spirit, and they were sensitive to it. And they get a little bit of a respite here in Berea, and, and you'll see what happens here in a moment. So look at verse 10 again. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Different city, different 
Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. I don't know if that's meant to be a slam on them or critique of them. It's just a reality, Luke's recording. But here's what they did. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures to see if these things were so. So Paul flees in night. He gets to Berea, and he encounters just a wonderful group of people. As he is opening the Old Testament, they're opening their Old Testament, and they're, they're studying, okay, well, he said this in Exodus. I want to see if that's in Exodus. He said this from the book of Psalms. I want to see if that's there. And they, they had this wonderful, healthy back and forth. And one of my prayers as a pastor for Saving Grace Church, and this is true of all of our pastors of Saving Grace Church, that we want the church, you who are members, to be like the Bereans. We want you to study and examine the scriptures. So when we preach God's word, we don't want you to believe it because we, we say it. We want you to believe it because you see it in God's word. We should be growing in our knowledge and understanding of God's word. And we want to do our best to teach and to study and to persuade. But ultimately, we want you to be able to see it with your own eyes. Because if you can see it with your own eyes and you believe it because you see it and you understand the particular argument and particular book of the Bible, nothing can get at you in life's circumstances, because you will grow deep roots and trust in the living God. And that's our heart. We want you to be like the Bereans. Look at verse 12. And many of you are like the Bereans, by the way. Verse 12. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So some very prominent Greek men and women also believed, along with some of the Jewish people. Verse 13. Now remember, he just left Thessalonica because there's Jews there that were causing a lot of problems, Jewish religious leaders. Well, they were relentless. Look at this, verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was being proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there, agitating and stirring up the crowd. So they were so against what Paul was doing they were going to follow him. They're going to go after him. This, this reminds me of even our present day culture. Now it's not by foot and people showing up in doorsteps. It's often through social media outlets, but they will follow and hound people. So they show up, and they're doing the exact same thing. They came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And they must have been so effective because once again in verse 14, then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. So Paul preaches the gospel. People respond. Another church is being started. Silas and Timothy remain back, and they stay there to care for them. But the danger was at such a level that they urged Paul to go. Now, we know from other things that Paul wrote and did, he was not afraid of death. He was not afraid of beatings. He was not afraid of imprisonment. But in these instances, they, thought, they all thought it was best to go. And so he went. And where he ends up next, 
I imagine just from all the different things I've read in the Bible about the Apostle Paul, it was like a, a kid in a candy store. Where he ends up next is in Athens. And in Athens, there were philosophers philosophizing all the time and just talking and exchanging ideas, as we're going to see in a moment. And Paul was in his element. See, even among, this is true of Christians, it's also among, true among Christian leaders. There, there are Christians that um, are really good at catching fish. There are leaders that are really good at catching fish. And we call them evangelists. They're, they're the, they just love engagement and sharing and debating and persuading with non-Christians. That's a gift. That can be a gift to the church. Paul was like that. There are also those who are good at cleaning the fish. That's the shepherds, the pastors. They can get in there in the mess and endure for long periods of time. In many ways, Paul was both. But we often see he, he leaned towards proclaiming the good news. Now, he did have a shepherd's heart, so he writes later on, First and Second Thessalonians, because he cares for them. But now, through another fling of night, he's going to Athens. Macedonia, or Thessalonica, was the, the capital of Macedonia, but Athens was the cultural center. It was like the cool place. It was the place of all the Greek scholars and debaters. And Paul was a very studied man, not just in Judaism, but in, in Greek um, writings and culture as well. And so we're going to encounter some Greek culture. And just to, to kind of orient us a little bit with Athens and some of the philosophies that were taught there, in case you forgot from history class, um, Athens, like I said, was the cultural center, but it really peaked in its heyday, actually in the 5th century B.C. So you'll know names like Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. They were all out of Athens hundreds of years before Paul was there. But the, the philosophies reigned strong and supreme still in that day. And it shaped the people. It shaped their thinking. Now, some of them morphed. Um, Stoicism, the Stoics were there. It was, it was a primary philosophy that was being taught, and um, a simple kind of explanation of what they believed was this. The Stoics differentiated between good and bad. The good things included cardinal virtues like wisdom, justice, courage, and self-discipline, and the bad things were the opposite of those things, such as vices, folly, injustice, and indulgence. Another prominent philosophy that was happening there was um, taught by the Epicureans, and they taught that man's chief goal was the avoidance of pain. They were materialists. They didn't deny the existence of God, but they didn't believe God was involved with the details of our lives. All that may seem insignificant, but it's really important because it shows that Paul, he had this unique ability to just walk through all kinds of different cultures. So he can go to the synagogue, and then he can go to the cultural center of the known world and engage with the brightest philosophers of the day, which is what we're going to see him do. Which brings us to the third and final point. The gospel of Jesus is superior to all philosophies, religions, 
and clever arguments. The gospel is superior to all philosophies, religions, and clever arguments. Look at verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, so he, he I don't know if he was instructed, or hey, let's, let's do this one together, rather than um, you just go on your own, Paul, because of all the persecution. Um, it, it's like, hey, just wait. We'll, we'll, we'll get there, and we'll do this together. But he couldn't do it. And, and the Bible tells us why. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he's looking around, and he's seeing the different things that are represented in the city, and he sees that false gods are just rampant. And his evangelistic heart inside of him, his, his calling as an apostle, just overcomes maybe even the practical wisdom of waiting for the guys to arrive. But he does start with the Jewish people again, and then he works his way out. So look at verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some of them said, what does this babbler wish to say? The word babbler there is, is basically the word that's described of when birds are eating seed and they're just pecking at it. So it wasn't a real complimentary phrase. What's this babbler wish to do? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. So some were more open-minded because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And so they're going to invite him into a debate and to tell what he believes. Now, with some of these philosophies and philosophers came a pretty large dose of pride. So they would have thought they had the upper hand on the Apostle Paul. But he had the truth in Jesus Christ, and he knew it. So he was not backing down in any way. Look at verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. So they invited him to come to these, this place where they would debate all the time. And so he comes in, and in verse 20 it says, For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. In other words, you're teaching and proclaiming something that our ears haven't heard. And our ears have heard a lot of different philosophies. But what you're saying seems entirely new. Um, Verse 20, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. This is what they did all day, throughout the day, every day. Telling and hearing something new. Exchanging and listening to new philosophies. The problem is, to go back to our GPS coordinate analogy, they were listening and hearing faulty coordinates all day. So what they were listening, considering, and hearing had no eternal value to prepare them to meet the living God. And Paul knew that. But listen to how he begins. He doesn't body slam them. He, he's going to appeal to them in a very careful and thoughtful and winsome way. Verse 22. 
So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. And he, he's not meaning this in a negative way to start with. Verse 23. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription, To the Unknown God. So this is a good tip for evangelism. He looked around. He knew the culture in which he was. So if you were in western Pennsylvania, know the culture. If you were in New York City, know the culture. If you're in San Francisco, know the culture. The truth doesn't change, but how you engage the culture certainly can change. And so he, he's going to model how to engage a culture with the truth of Jesus. So he sees this inscription, to the unknown God. And for him, that, that is like a wide open door to share Jesus. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. I'm going to tell you who this unknown God is. The God who made the world and everything in it. Remember the one philosophy said, well, there might be a God, but he doesn't care. Paul's going to say, no, there is a God, and he does care, and he is very involved. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So he is starting to shatter their philosophies. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having deterred determined allotted periods and the boundaries of the dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him yet he he is actually not far from each one of us they taught he was far he was uninvolved no God is the exact opposite now he's going to quote their own philosophy here verse 28 for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So he's going to use that idea that if we're indeed his offspring, then we can't, God's can't be man-made items if, if we're his offspring. Look at verse 29. But then, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or image formed by art and the imagination of man. So he is tearing down their false thinking about who God is. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Did you see what he did there? He started very wide to this unknown God that you, you guys, some of you subscribe to. And he began to whittle away. Let me tell you who this unknown God is. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one who loves you. He's the one who cares for you. He's the one who will judge the earth. He's the one that will punish all mankind who rejects his son Jesus in eternity for.
for hell. He's the one who offers salvation in his son Jesus to all who turn and trust in him. See, Paul was fearless in this setting. He was not afraid of their degrees or their philosophies of of education. We shouldn't be either. If you know Jesus and you study God's word, you have the answers that the desperate, dying world needs to hear. You don't have to be intimidated. You don't have to back down. Do it lovingly, do it winsomely, but do it boldly and courageously. Because look at verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked them. They always will. But others said, we will hear you about this again. So ears were piqued. The Holy Spirit began to draw. Verse 33, so Paul went out from his midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Arapagite, who is from this council. He's a significant leader in Athens, and a woman named Damaris, and others with him. Some believe that Dionysius eventually becomes a bishop of Athens. That's a debatable thing in church history. You can look it up for yourself and see what you think. But the point is, a very significant leader was saved by Jesus Christ through Paul's preaching. See, we have the good news. This whole series, Go and Tell, that we have slowly worked through since last September is to build our confidence and our ability in sharing Jesus with the lost and dying world. I hope, I pray, that this emboldens us, that gives us courage and heart. And as we saw today, the gospel turns the world upside down as we share it. The gospel must be received and carefully considered. So let's call people to a response, and let's slowly talk through their questions and and um, hear their arguments and reasoning and then appeal to them with the bible and the gospel is superior to all philosophies religions and clever arguments we need not fear them let's pray father we thank you for your word we thank you that you preserve this chapter in the book of Acts to embolden us and give us courage to share the gospel. Lord, may we as a church watch you work and watch you save as we faithfully share the good news of Jesus. We love you. We ask for help and strength. We ask this in your name. Amen. Have a great Sunday. At this time, Kay's going to share some announcements. Hello, everyone, and uh, I want to welcome you. If this is the first time that you've joined us at Saving Grace Church for our live stream, and if you go to our website for Saving Grace Church Indiana, PA, if you'd like to, there's a section in the services and meetings page where you can fill out one of our Connect cards, and we can you can share a prayer request or anything like that, and you can also sign up to receive our weekly email newsletter. So if you do that. And uh, as far as announcements, we have on Tuesday at 7 p.m. SGC Connect Online. We will have Misha Sandine.
talking about her work in Tanzania with Wycliffe Bible translators. And so that's amazing. Misha is translating the Bible into languages that it's never been translated into before. So check that out on Tuesday at 7 p.m. on our YouTube channel. On Thursday, Donna McKelvey also will be sharing with us about Mercy Ministries. That's through the local Saving Grace Church to reach out and help people from our church and, uh, and some that aren't from our church in, in different ways physically and other ways. And so we hope you join us for those interviews this week. Also, Women's Bible Study on Saturday mornings at 9 to 11. Those are led by Elaine Eshelman, and that is a Zoom conference. So if you check that out, it's uh, selected Psalms will be, Elaine will be teaching from. And again, that's on Zoom. So you need that link. If you don't have it, if you can't find it, just let us know, and uh, we can get that to you. Also, Sunday school is on s at 9 a.m., excuse me, Sunday mornings, 9 a.m., also on Zoom. And we have two more weeks left on the study of the book of Philippians. And then we go to the background and historical context of the book of Romans, which is the next section, that next book of the Bible that we'll be teaching on. And also want to acknowledge tomorrow has been set aside as uh, Memorial Day, a national holiday, to remember all those who have sacrificed for the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. And uh, so we just want to take a moment and acknowledge that. So many have sacrificed maybe part of their lives to fight in these battles and serve in, in places that some of us had never heard of, like the Ardennes Forest or the Ladrang Valley or Fallujah, and, and some have And women have given their very lives for us to be free. Some have been wounded, and they bear those scars on their body. And some have wounds that we don't see in their mind and their spirit. So if we can just remember them as we have our burgers and our, our grills and pray Frisbee and just remember them and pray for healing for those who are still um, paying that price every day so we just want to thank you and i pray that god would turn your world upside down today through the gospel and you would experience the love of jesus have a great day